the natural condition is one of insurmountable obstacles on the road to imminent disaster. So what do we do? Nothing. Strangely enough, it all turns out well. How? I don't know. It's a mystery. Drop it. Duncan and Bo come correct. Hello, everyone. Welcome once again to Duncan and Bo come correct, the uh, cinematic podcasting duel in which myself, Bo Ransdell, and uh, my co-host, Duncan McLeish, Hello, that would Duncan. be me. Yes. <laughs> uh, we uh, we choose a theme and then pick a movie and uh, then uh, the uh, pick a movie that the other person hasn't seen. We suggest that movie to them and then uh, come together to decide who has, in fact, come most correct. Uh, as always, uh, it is worth reminding you in season two, each of us has the option to uh, to invoke the name of Winter Beast. Should should we find ourselves in a losing position, and just by by mentioning the name of this film, we in fact get a victory for that. Uh, in this episode, our fourth episode back uh, for season two, neither of us has invoked the unholy name of Winter Beast yet. Not yet. No. So, uh, yeah, so we're all, you know, still sitting on that thing, and there's nothing quite as uncomfortable as sitting on a Winter Beast. But... <laughs> But it's also kind of exciting. So, uh, but how are you, sir? What's uh, what's going on? It's been a while since we've talked. We've both been we've both been a traveling. Yes, um, I I went away on a small vacation to uh, the rather exotic city of Barcelona in Spain. Barcelona, uh, yes, Barcelona, um, which was a. <laughs> which was pretty fantastic. I'd never been before. I've I've heard plenty of people tell me that. Like, I'm a bit of a geek when I go on holiday, and a lot of people, or holidays we call it over here, vacation to our American listeners, um, I, I know plenty of people that, especially in the UK, will go to a foreign country and literally sit by a pool or, you know, sit by the beach and not do anything, and that boggles my mind, Um because I don't understand why anyone would travel to a place they've never been to before and not experience any of it, and rather sit and melt in the sun. I I, I don't get that. So well, you're when, not crazy about the sun anyway. We've established this on numerous episodes. You yeah, don't, you I don't hate care for sunlight. Yes. Yeah, I I hate the sun. So um, to me, when I go on vacation, um, which I'm going to use like you use Fortnite, um, when I go on vacation. It's mostly sightseeing, it's touristy things, it's soaking up the city that I'm in, it's experiencing the food, the culture, it's a kind of immersive experience and it doesn't really feel when you come back like you've had any time off because you're just immersing yourself, you're constantly checking out things. So that's what Barcelona was for me and the architecture over there is incredible uh, there's a rather famous architect called Gaudi um, who designed a lot of the buildings over there and his architecture is the most bizarre thing uh, it was all like based on the, the book of natural law and things like that so you quite happily have ceramic tiles on buildings that resemble dragon scales <laughs> and uh, you know um, kind of patio areas that look like the the stone has been carved into the shape of bones because it just had this this urge to put that sort of shit in there, which at times can look in, incredibly beautiful, at other times very sinister. And there were certain things we saw, and I was like, that looks like the jaws of a, a beast ready. That looks like Gojira. Gojira is going to eat us. Um, yeah, and, worst ways to go. Well, there are indeed. Uh, and um, it was good. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, it was it was an incredible city. The only th my only gripe 
the the weather. Um, it was like thirty degrees Celsius over there, which is about thirty degrees too hot for me. Um, so uh, yeah, the heat was a bit of a killer, but the city was beautiful, and I really, really enjoyed it. You, on the other hand, you did you you went out and became a star, didn't you? Yes. You rubbed shoulders with the the A listers, party hard at some of these these. Uh, off the off the, the the trodden path celebrity parties became a member of Bohemian Grove. You just went for it, didn't you? Yeah, I uh, I went to Los Angeles, uh, which is a great place to visit. Um, <laughs> it, it is a beautiful city, bogged down by by just some of the most awful people you'd ever want to run into. <laughs> um, it's it. I had a I had a really good time. Uh, I, I won't go into too much detail, but I, I will say probably one of the highlights of the trip for me was playing uh, the the game Head Games, the iOS trivia game, uh-huh. yeah, yeah. Uh, with uh, Robert Rodriguez's producing partner at about 3 a.m. one night. And I got to say, we could have gone pro. Between, <laughs> between the two of us, we were we, clearly the biggest movie nerds in the room, and, and that was a lot of fun. So, yeah, yeah, that was a thing that happened. It was a, it was a good time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. So yeah, the the movie I was out there for uh, the Lost After Dark uh, shenanigans. And... You might want to remind our listeners who may, or even people that are tuning in for the first time, what is Lost After Dark? Lost After Dark is the uh, '80s slasher movie throwback kind of film. That uh, it is a film, not kind of a film. It's a real movie. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's a... And uh, yeah, so I wrote that, and uh, Ian Kessner directed it, and so yeah, we were out there, and uh, you can find Lost After Dark on, you know, all the the VOD platforms, and Walmart, and Target, and Best Buy, and all that stuff. I mean, pretty much anywhere you buy a movie, you can probably find it there. And uh, and there's a free uh, director's commentary available because uh, Anchor Bay didn't didn't want to give us any money to record one, so, <laughs> so so we were like, ask her it, we'll do it ourselves. So that's available uh, now as well. So um, yeah, that's everything that's been going on. It's been pretty uh, oh, pretty so crazy. You just you just wrote a movie that got made and it just came out. Is that all, Bo? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it, but, well, and I'm currently recording this in not Nashville, which is where I normally live and exist most times. Uh, I'm in Atlanta uh, visiting my lady friend, and I told her, "Hey, beat it, lady! I've got to record a show with Duncan," and uh, and so she beat it. So uh, <laughs> she's very tolerant in that way. Um, but yeah, yeah. So I've like the traveling has kind of continued, and I'm I'm actually looking forward to going home tonight and sleeping. I'm very tired. Uh, but but before we get into that uh, that kind of rest, Duncan, that kind of laziness, the sheer laziness of unconsciousness. Mm-hmm. Um, we have uh, a theme today on the table uh, involving mysteries. Yes, and, we do. And, and I felt like I've been thinking about this quite a bit. I feel like up front. Before we even talk about movies we've seen recently, we should probably tell listeners we are going to spoil two movies that rely very heavily on not being spoiled. Oh, God, yeah, yeah. If there's a mystery, if we're ever discussing mysteries, I mean, generally we'll go quite in-depth anyway, but if you're discussing mysteries, there's no way you can talk about the movies and the depth that we do without spoiling them. And these are two recent, I mean, we tend to pick movies from, they've went back decades before these ones have come out in the last two years so 
yeah, I think that's if you have not seen either one of these movies yet, um, or both, um, then you really need to hit stop just now and track them down, watch them, and then come back to us because I do not want to be responsible for spoiling either one of these movies for you, the listener. Yeah, I would, I would say that you know, without knowing your perspective on uh, my pick for you yet, uh, but I would say I, I think both of us would recommend these movies. Uh, yes, definitely, definitely. And and so yeah, so if you haven't seen Gone Girl, if you haven't seen Side Effects, uh, yeah, you've been warned. You know, everything that happens from now on is your fault. You got to take a little responsibility <laughs> for your life. Um, so that that being said, I love the fact that I love the fact that we're like ten minutes in and we're chastising our listeners. Yeah, I know we're kind of late. Um, <laughs> usually we just start off with how terrible our listeners are, but uh, I didn't. You know, I didn't feel like that was appropriate this time. Um, you know, obviously Duncan feels differently, but you know, he's, he's the more yeah, aggressive we're, we're of the We're playing two. a game of a uh, good podcaster, bad podcaster here. <laughs> right. I'm getting too old for this shit, Duncan. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, uh, so, all right, before we jump into those movies though, um, we usually kind of, uh, you know, pitch a couple of movies out there. One that was really good. One, maybe not so much that we saw recently and, I am intrigued because I know the movie you're going to talk about for uh, your your good film of uh, the recent past, and it kind of blows my mind. Yeah, it kind of blows mine as well because I'm like I, literally ten minutes before we started recording, I was in the car swearing at other drivers, maybe breaking the speed limits to to get back here because I have just seen this movie. I've just come out of the the cinema having. Seen the new M. Night Shyamalan film, The Visit. Now, let me give you a little bit of perspective on my take on Shyamalan, right? To me, Shyamalan's best film is Unbreakable. I think Unbreakable is the one that people seem to, for whatever reason, they'll pass over when they're talking about his movies, and I don't quite know why. Um, he obviously started his, his um, proper studio career with Sixth Sense, which was a movie that really did kind of set the benchmark for you know, like kind of horror movies in the 90s because and, and a high benchmark at that as well because it to me is the first movie that takes the the idea of the kind of concept of the end of something like um the usual suspects this kind of twist ending that makes you then reappraise the movie from start to end and notice all the things in that when you come to your second viewing, everything's seen from a different perspective. Um, and that that movie, whilst I liked it at the time, I've kind of went off it, actually, the, the longer time has went on. Um, I, I don't enjoy it as much. And it's nothing to do with the, the, the fact that I know what the ending is or anything. I, I just, I, I think that sometimes we hype it up a bit too much. Um, I thought Unbreakable was a great movie that I, I genuinely thought there was, and even from the, the the first part, I know people are grown to like that movie, but from from the outset, I just thought that was an incredible movie. And every time I see it, I still think it's his best piece of work. He then did Signs, which was a movie I I don't hate it. I think it's all right. Um, I I thought, and this is where the Shyamalan problems started coming in. I thought the ending was we all knew that Shyamalan likes a kind of twist ending and then he did things in the movie that were signs I did that in air quotation marks um which perfect for podcasting too, yes go yeah, ahead perfect yeah <laughs> <laughs> but um 
he did certain things in the movie. I did it again there. And um I, I really certainly... plays. I like yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, I was like, we're we're a bit too on the nose here. He followed up with the village, which I thought had one of the most ridiculous endings in a movie until I saw the happening which I then realised was the most ridiculous ending I'd ever seen in any movie. He did Lady in the Water, is it? And yeah. I didn't like that movie. I thought that movie was awful. Yeah. And then he helped out uh, the guys that did the Poughkeepsie tapes by doing a movie called The Devil, which or Devil, I think it is, which is the one set in an elevator, which I legitimately, five minutes into, had guessed who the villain was um, and thus spoiled the movie because I thought, what would Shyamalan do in this instance? Shyamalan would pick the most unlikely character to be the oh that's who it, right up oh, there spoiled the movie for myself i didn't think that was a particularly great movie either and then he did the last airbender which was a bad movie i never uh, saw that one in fairness. oh it was a bad bad movie and then hollywood kind of went off him they had enough of him really well and... no he did uh after earth the will smith joint oh yes which was a bad movie yeah um and yeah i think i think the shine had kind of went off him, so he's returned with the visit, which to me kind of feels like, you know, when when filmmakers get to a certain point where they're shunned, they kind of come back. They come back with going with something that kind of harkens back to their roots. So he's come back with a horror movie, um, and he's come back with a found footage horror movie, which to me is a very tired genre at the best of times. Although I have seen a couple of found footage movies this year that I have really enjoyed um, I kind of felt like this was going to be it's a Shyamalan's fan footage movie let's let's sit down and wait to see what ridiculousness he brings to the screen and actually this one is grounded heavily in reality um, and I was saying to you just briefly to me is the next step on this idea of and I, I'm already predicting this as a movement for movies now of kind of people now being less about the fear of children but now the fear of the old um and i think this plays in i think you've once said on one podcast before maybe when we were talking about deborah logan you had said something along the lines of um it kind of is like um filmmakers holding like a magnifying glass up to how generations are now treating the old and it's a subject that people don't want to talk about at all um and That's, that sounds smart i i'll yeah. i'll copy that <laughs> and i i think this is where horror is moving i think the fact that something like deborah logan was such a runaway success on vod has kind of opened the door for people to experiment with that and it's difficult not to it's difficult not to compare deborah logan with the visit but what the visit has which deborah logan didn't have is a huge amount of humor it's almost taken from a a child's perspective well, it's because we're following two kids as they film their visit with their grandparents who are estranged from their mother. Um, and I, I'll be honest with you, about halfway through it, I caught what the twist was. Um, and I kind of thought, if this is what happens, I'm not going to be happy. And then it did happen. I actually thought, no, I'm actually, I'm glad that you did that. I'm glad that you did that. My gripe with the movie, and it's a tiny gripe, because out with that, I think it is a pretty phenomenal found footage movie for this year um, not as good as Creep but not far off it um, my only gripe with it was I felt in the last five minutes of the reveal he started doing Shyamalanisms 
as I like to call them, which is difficult to say if you're drunk. <laughs> it's it, it's difficult, difficult to say if you're sober for me. Yes, it is indeed. Uh, so he started doing certain things which hark back to things like signs, um, which, like I say, I don't like it when it's too on the nose, and he gave us a couple of things at the end which were a bit on the nose. Out with that, though, I think it is an effective, thrilling horror movie um, and the fact that it's found footage, and I drum on about how I think sometimes just make it a movie, don't do the found footage thing, just spend a bit more. Um, the found footage element totally worked on it. Because very much like a movie like Affliction, there is a reason for high-definition cameras there. Um, and there's a reason for the characters to maintain holding the cameras in the movie. And there was a couple of bits that were actually pretty fucking creepy. So a couple of like like standalone images in that movie are particularly creepy when you put them into the mindset of a child seeing that for the first time. So, uh, yeah, it's a high recommend. I am not going to be one of these ones, and I've read plenty of people now saying, this is Shyamalan back. Because to me, his ratio... Uh, yeah, still not good. Yeah, yeah it's, 25% of these movies have been amazing. The rest to me, pretty bad. So, uh, you know, the ones that he has done that I've liked, I've really liked... Um, but everything out with that, I, you know, I, I think he is a very self-indulgent filmmaker. And I think at times that has been to his detriment. This one is definitely, I, I think this is probably, it's, it's in my top 10 for the end of the year, definitely, as we stand just now. I think it's very much worth a watch and one that would benefit definitely seeing in the cinema. So, yeah, that's my that's my good all right, all right. Ooh, a lot to see on that movie. Ooh, yeah, hey. I'm, I'm still kind of surprised. I mean, I've heard good things about it, and I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not one of those people that just because he's done a lot of crappy movies in the past, uh, particularly The Happening. In fact, uh, Screen Junkies recently did one of their Honest Movie Trailers segments <laughs> on The Happening, which if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend because it is a fine reminder of like, oh, God, this movie was just terrible. It was. Straight from the, the outset, it was terrible. And everyone was tricked into thinking it was going to be something else, and I think that's maybe I think that's maybe the ultimate testament to how good marketers can be when marketing a film. You know. Yeah, yeah. It. Oh man, but it, like the, the the screen junkies thing does such a fine job of pointing out how terrible the dialogue is and the performances, and I mean, like that movie just cover to cover. There's nothing good about the happening whatsoever it's yeah it's almost remarkable in how not good it is yeah really 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 yeah, <laughs> yeah. um and and the bad category um is one that i watched for a very recent baz v horror which will be appearing soon on the podcast under the stairs and i kind of feel like this is just taking pot shots at a movie that's had plenty of pot shots taken at it um a nightmare on elm street the remake Wow. Yeah. That's a terrible movie. Yeah, I have seen that movie precisely twice before before I watched it. Um just there. The first time was at the cinema in which I booed it. Um literally booed it. Uh, the the second time uh, was about a year after it when I thought, have I like I'd listened to Jamie Jenkins talk about it and I was like, Maybe I am wrong. Jamie speaks about it with such passion and enthusiasm, maybe I should watch this movie again. And I watched it as part of my remakes. Top ten uh, best and worst remakes thing, and that's that's why I, I, I rewatched the movie, and I was like, oh no, that needs to be in the bad camp, um, which it made my top ten worst 
horror remakes of all time list. And then I watched it again for this Baz V Horror. And it's just a bad movie. I mean, it is. There is next to nothing in that movie that works at all. I there would, are a few things that, over oh, it, right, you're going to disagree with me? I, well, I would argue that Jackie Earl Haley does what he can with the material he has. Yeah, and that's my only, I think that's my only positive in this movie, uh, is that I think, I think the biggest issue with, with the, the performance of Freddy Krueger is the makeup is so confining that you can't see any, you can't emote as a character. Like, Freddy would smile maliciously um, at close-ups, and that put the creeps up you because you're seeing someone that is getting off and inflicting, like, pain on others. You just don't get that. So when you get lines like, why are you screaming? I haven't even begun to cut you yet. Which is a terrifying line. His face, yep. it, it doesn't it doesn't look terrifying. It, I mean, they've went for realistic burden. Yes, by all means. But all it looks like is like a cross between the ape creature from Big, Hubble, uh, Big Trouble in Little China. Um, and I don't know, like a, a prune. It's, it's, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's yeah. just so fucking awful. And that's one of those things that he's, you know, he's a he's a supernatural character. You can go fantastical with him. You don't have to try and ground the makeup in reality. We don't need that. Um, and I think, and that's just that's just one gripe with the horrible characters, the terrible story, the pointless subplot, the actually not that great special effects, the horrible browny, greeny, sludgy, reddy hue that has put over every boiler scene sequence and just generally over everything, which is, like, seems to be the... Like, you know how you can buy filters for Instagram and things like that? One should be called Platinum Dunes, and that's how it looks. Um, yeah. I really like the idea of a Platinum Dunes filter. That's funny. That's what it looks like. There's just little to anything that would make me want to recommend that movie. And I'll just go out and say it. I'm not the biggest fan of The First Nightmare on Elm Street. I think... I, I prefer parts two and three over part one and i know you hate the idea that i like part two but i really do i don't hold part one in this i i i hold it in um and the regards it deserves for kind of changing the face of horror in the 80s and really doing something giving kind of flesh to the the idea of something being able to kill you in your dreams i think that's a great idea and freddy's a great character i think it's a bit goofy in parts in the first one like the long woogly arms which i hate and woogly is a word by the way um yeah i just hate that movie and i i feel the need to vent about it as an awful awful remake and um there is a reason that they have struggled to do anything with that franchise until apparently recently when they're going to start again. But there's a reason it kind of put it to bed is because it finished and I thought, where do you go with it from now? You've you've basically capped the story again. You've done something which makes it impossible really to move ahead with that story. Oh, I hate it. Yeah, yeah. It, it, all right, and this is going to harken back to an old episode of We Hate Movies and I can't remember which one. But they had mentioned uh, that if you if you throw something like rape or molestation into a movie, uh-huh. that's a very strong spice. You know, that is kind of what your movie becomes about at a certain yeah. point. And the, the biggest flaw, I think, of the Elm Street remake, which has plenty of flaws, but the biggest one, I think, is trying to create a question mark over whether or not Freddy Krueger is a villain. Yeah. And I think once you do that, you you start to question 
much more deeply the child molesting origins of that character. Mm-hmm. And that's where it just becomes kind of creepy. And, yeah. and not not in a good horror movie kind of way, but creepy in a, oh, wow, humanity is kind of screwed up kind of way. Where yeah. You just don't want to be in that headspace when you're trying to be entertained by a horror film. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can deal with dark subject matter for sure. Uh, but th- that's just a the, that movie from front to back, the, the whole way, it just seems like no one really gave a shit about that movie. Yeah. Even the people making it. So, yeah, it's not good. Not good at all, well- sir. What about yourself? Regale me with stories of good and bad, Bo. All right, so the good, uh, I saw straight out of Compton, finally. Oh, yeah, I've been hearing a lot. That was actually a possibility for today's cinema visit, and I opted for Shyamalama. Um, You know, i I got to tell you, you should go back at some point and see Straight Outta Compton. I don't know that you necessarily need to see a movie like that in the theater, but mm-hmm. um, I am a at least a passing fan of NWA. You know, I kind of yeah. grew up at the time when that, that sort of West coast rap was uh, becoming very popular and remember well, all the uh, backlash against it. Uh, the gangster rap celebrating the, you know, Compton lifestyle and whatnot. Um, it's a really good movie. The biggest complaint I have with it is that it's a bit biopicy in that, uh, which also is a word uh, in that, if you've seen any biopic ever, you kind of know the beats of this story of, okay, well, here's the rise, here's the inevitable fall. And, you know, uh, but that being said, the performances are really good. Um, it does a really nice job of, of showing that rise to fame and also the inevitable, uh, splintering of that group and the reasons behind it. And as someone who has an interest in that, uh, at least casually, if not more so, uh, it was really good. It was really effective. Um, surprisingly funny at times. Um, it's got a level of profanity that I can really support. Uh, <laughs> I, I really appreciated all that. Paul Giamatti is really good. He he, he plays a very complicated complicated character in that film. I and, love Paul Giamatti. I, you could put him in anything and I would watch it. Yeah, and and once again, he just delivers another really good performance, and and I. Without giving anything away, there is a kind of turning point in the film where sort of his motivations as to why he was involved with uh, Eazy-E and NWA in the first place uh, are kind of brought up. And, you know, I I don't think the movie gives you an easy answer um, as to whether or not he was a good guy or a bad guy or just a guy, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, but all that stuff is really good. Uh, Easy E ends up being sort of the the focus of the film, which is fine by me. Um, although they, there's a notorious lack of reference to the album Easy Does It, which I think is highly underrated. Um, but yeah, really good movie. You should like if you have any interest in in NWA or that era of rap or whatever. It's really really well done. It's uh, well shot, well performed, well written. Like honestly, I'm not gonna be totally taken aback if you see this nominated for something at the end of the year. Yeah, yeah, I've I've heard a lot of good reviews about it. It is one that's definitely on the list to check out. Very much like yourself, I was maybe just a a, a bit too young to get their impact, but my older brother certainly he was a big fan of Straight Outta Compton as an album, and um, the album used to be on repeat all the time so you know I, I grew up in a household when i was starting to get into to rock and metal and stuff like that it was almost it was almost a uh, playing off through the walls of my house against things like cypress hill and uh like it's certainly ice cube and um 
you know, and uh, NWA as well. So, um, yeah, I, I, I really, I, I can't wait to check it out. Like I say, I've not heard anything bad about it, and it's done pretty amazing business. Yeah, yeah, and, and as well it should. It's a good movie. And speaking of, of Cube, because uh, that's how we call each other, you know. Um, oh, now that you've been to LA. Yeah, you're right. Me and, me and Cube. Uh, <laughs> so Ice Cube's real-life son plays Ice Cube in the film. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And he looks so much like Ice Cube that there is that point where even if you just saw him on the street somewhere, you would be like, that guy looks dead up like Ice Cube. And yeah. like down to the kind of crinkle above his nose when he frowns and he's got, you know, the honest to goodness Ice Cube frown down uh, <laughs> where it looks like Cube is going to come at you with a gat. Um, but... Yeah, it's a that's a super good movie, and uh, and everyone should see it. Like even if you're not all that interested in rap, it, it, it's a good enough movie that I think the story sustains uh, the film. It has you know kind of a sad ending because you know, spoilers, Easy E died, mm-hmm. um, but died at a point where it seemed like maybe NWA was going to come back together, and yeah, yeah. It, it's kind of disappointing that that never happened. It would have been interesting to see what that would have looked like um, in in that kind of you know post Dre doing the Chronic and. Uh, Ice Cube being an actor and all that stuff mm-hmm. like that would have happened after all of that had begun yeah. and it would have, it would be very interesting. Um, so as far as a movie that is not so good, I gotta be honest. I didn't really watch a lot of crap recently. There uh, hasn't actually, there hasn't been that much out this year that I have like disliked. And I don't know if that's because I'm purposely filtering myself towards things that I pretty much know I will like, or if it's because just that the, there is a higher standard of kind of, especially indie filmmaking happening just now. So I, I genuinely don't know, but I haven't really seen anything. I mean, I had to go back to a movie from five years ago to find something I didn't like for this show and out with the video nasty stuff that I've been doing where you're always guaranteed to get a couple of really bad movies. It kind of feels unfair to pick on them on this show because, you know, it just feels unfair to pick on them. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so, well, with that in mind, give me another one then. Give me another one that you... All right. So yesterday I saw uh, Marvel's The Ant-Man. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah. And that's an okay movie. Um, you know, I, it hasn't done as well as a lot of the other Marvel films have, but then again, it's such an off brand character really. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I will say this, it is, uh, it knows how ridiculous the premise of a guy who can shrink to the size of an ant is and doesn't shy away from that. Like, you know, it, it's not ashamed of it, but it also appreciates the silliness of it. Mm-hmm. Um, there, to give you an example, the movie, uh, has a couple of running gags involving, um, the detail and thoroughness of Baskin Robbins background checks <laughs> that, it, that are very funny. And it's that kind of attitude And the movie. Uh, I'm sure you, I'm not the first person to say this to you, but the movie isn't just a straight ahead superhero movie. Like a bunch of, of, uh, the Marvel films are, it is, um, it's a heist movie. It is very mm-hmm. much about like, hey, we're going to assemble a team of people and break into this place to get this thing. And with the superhero trappings laid over it. Yeah. And uh, and I think that works really well. Um, you know, it, like, I always say this about the difference between the Marvel and DC movies. Um, Marvel seems to understand that you're going to a movie to have a good time. 
Yeah. And it doesn't take itself too seriously. This movie in particular is pretty funny and uh, not quite as, you know, epic feeling as something like Guardians of the Galaxy or anything. And and sort of in a weird way exists outside of a lot of the other Marvel films, although there are, there are definitely ties to the things like the Avengers and stuff like that. But yeah, it's a fun movie. It's a good time. There's a lot of laughs. Doesn't take itself too seriously. There's a guy riding around on a flying ant for a portion of the film. So it, again, it knows how silly that is and, and enjoys having fun with it. Um, and the special effects are really good, as you would imagine, for a big budget movie like this. So seeing the, the miniature world, you know, like I was thinking about the incredible shrinking man, the old, you know, fifties movie yeah. where it's the guy fighting the spider with the needle and stuff, uh, which is a great movie by the way. But, um, <laughs> And, and seeing how in a modern context of how you can do a movie where a guy is that size and living in a world, like a, a world that we see all the time, but is suddenly gargantuan in proportion. Yeah. And that stuff is real cool to see. Um, so, yeah, it's it, it's a good movie. Uh, it, like I said, the contrast with the DC movies where those are just so like gritty and bleak and dark these days. Um, I just don't enjoy those, I think, as much as I do the, the Marvel stuff. And... Um, yeah, it was a good time. So, you know, if you enjoy those movies or you enjoy Paul Rudd and, you know, Michael Douglas is in it and he's Michael Douglas like he is in everything. <laughs> and, uh, but it's a, yeah, it's a solid movie. It's, you know, it, it's not going to change your life or anything, but it's a really good, like, afternoon matinee kind of movie. So, yeah. Yeah, I need to, I, it was one of the ones I'd, I thought, uh, I quite enjoyed Guardians of the Galaxy. I don't love it, but that kind of comes back into the fact that I just don't get superhero movies. Uh, I thought because that one didn't feel like a superhero movie, I quite got it. And the idea of the way you've described that to me would make me watch that movie. You know, that it's not, it's kind of heavy on the the destruction of the world is nigh. Only one man can save us. The fact that it's like a highscaper is something that would make me want to watch it. Yeah, and, and like I said, it, it plays with the notion of both the heist movie and the fact that you're dealing with a guy who is constantly growing and shrinking. And mm-hmm. all of that stuff is really cool. Like seeing him, like they're one of his, the tests that he has to do, um, is run down a hallway, sh- jump, shrink in midair, jump through a keyhole, and then grow to normal size on the other side of it. Mm-hmm. And so there are a couple of gags where he doesn't quite get that right, you know, a few <laughs> times. And but also later in the movie when he does sort of have that, you know, sort of symbiotic relationship with the suit he's wearing and the villain sort of has the same power. So there's this constant state of growing and shrinking and how that makes the battle different between these two characters. And um, it, yeah, and but it it also stops in the middle of the big final action sequence to get a laugh out of the fact that this is all happening on such a small scale. Right. And it's, yeah, it's I, like, I would recommend it to you again, as just like a DVD Blu-ray rental of like, just sit down and give this a chance and see what you think. Cause I think at the very least, there's going to be a half dozen good laughs in it for you. Cool. Yeah, I will do then. I will do. I'll try and watch it for the next time we come back back actually and i can give my can give my report back all right and and that'll show up in your like worst movies i saw this week uh <laughs> ant-man which is neither funny nor a heist movie um <laughs> but uh but i think i think we have uh we have pussyfooted around long enough which is the american expression for delayed duncan <laughs> um and i think it's time to get all mysterious mm. 
And uh, first up is actually my pick for you, if my math is right. Mm -hmm. And that is going to be uh, the uh, Steven Soderbergh film Side Effects, um, which I think is uh, kind of a criminally underseen movie from Soderbergh. It was uh, a came out a couple of years ago. 2013 is the release date on it. Um, the official IMDb uh, description uh, or synopsis is a young woman's world unravels when a drug prescribed by her psychiatrist has unexpected side effects. Uh, boy, that seems <laughs> a pretty, <laughs> a pretty general uh, uh, description of this movie. So um, to go into a little bit more depth, uh, which you will, of course, but the, the mystery behind this is that she is depressed. She takes a drug called uh, a, a Blaxin, I think, or a Blaxa, Esblixa, something yeah, like that. Yeah, something like that, yeah. And uh, which culminates in her having these sleepwalking episodes, one of which results in her stabbing her husband, Channing Tatum, a.k.a. the Taylor Kitsch we like, uh, to death. <laughs> and uh, and then the the thing I enjoy about this movie, Duncan... Mm -hmm. is that it does not present itself as a mystery. It presents yes. itself as a movie that's sort of about overuse of drugs and overprescription of drugs and what these can do to us. And it is about that, you know, in in much the, way, the same way that uh, a movie like Scanners is kind of about the pharmaceutical industry. I think Side Effects is in its own way. Yeah. But as the movie progresses, we start to realize, oh, no, no, there is actually a mystery occurring here. Uh, as Jude Law, who plays the uh, um, the doctor in the film, uh, Dr. Jonathan Banks, who is uh, Rooney Mara's character, Emily Taylor's uh, psychiatrist, um, that his life begins to unravel as someone tells him, look, someone died as a result of this drug. Someone's got to take the blame. Either it's going to be the wife or it's going to be his character. And so to sort of defend himself, he starts to try to piece together what actually happened uh, between Emily Taylor, the the uh, Rooney Mara character, and Channing Tatum, a.k.a. the Taylor Kitsch we like. So, uh, but I will leave it right there uh, other than to play a very short clip here from, uh, from Side Effects. Uh, this one in which um, Rooney Mara's character is describing what followed uh, after an ostensible suicide attempt where she runs a car into a wall. And this is uh, the first time she meets Jude Law. So, uh, and here it is, side effects. Are you married? Yes. Okay, what if you got out of jail or you were away for a long time and you come home and your wife is in the mental hospital? We waited for four years. I can't stay here. I think you may have tried to hurt yourself this morning. It was a mistake. I lost it for a minute. I promise that's not going to happen again. Do you have an office? Mm. Well, I could come see you at your office. I mean, I could come as often as you want. I could come two or three times a week. I was in therapy once before, and I remember that structure really helps with hopelessness. I promise I just really want to go home. Okay, so um, I've said my piece on it, and I clearly liked it enough to recommend it to Duncan. Um, and before you jump into this, I do have to point out, you told me that you weren't crazy necessarily about Steven Soderbergh, uh, nor were you that crazy about Jude Law. But I was like, I don't care. I think this movie is still really good. It's not that I dislike Steven Soderbergh. I, 
I just think that yeah, he's he's had movies that I really like, but not not on the scale of Shyamalan in terms of the the movies I dislike. There are movies that I dislike quite you know quite vehemently. Um, I mean, for every Ocean's Eleven the guy's done, he's done an Ocean's Twelve and an Ocean's Thirteen. <laughs> Yeah, all right, fair enough, fair enough. Right, and Ocean's 13 is a bad fucking movie. It not is, even, yes. Yeah, not even Al Pacino could save that movie. Um, and Al Pacino is widely regarded as one of the best actors ever. Um, he did Magic Mike, which is a movie I didn't like. Um, however, he did Ern Brockovich, which is a mu- movie that I love. So, I mean, there's he's, he's had a career which I've seen a lot of his movies, and some are great and others not great um and this was one that i had heard of but had never seen um i remember when this came out actually and there's a there's a particular movie reviewer called mark kermode um it's one of the the more famous uh kind of movie reviewers in the uk but throughout the world now because he's on i think it's one of the biggest downloaded movie review podcasts in the world um for the bbc and i remember him saying a lot of really good things about this movie like really kind of banging on about quite a lot of what you said is the fact that the movie isn't really packaged as a mystery movie it is kind of ostensibly what it is is a, a kind of scathing kind of finger whacking at the the american farmer pharmaceutical industry and how things can be prescribed on a whim or tested on a whim with little to no comeback on the pharmaceutical industry more about on the person the actual patient themselves and i think that is, is a really interesting idea and yes i don't like jude law you you have captured that there are jude law performances i really like um if you watch a movie like the talented mr ripley he's phenomenal in that um but you know there are movies that i dislike so i, I mean it was a <laughs> it, it was an interesting combination both um and i'm going to be honest with you i really enjoyed the movie really enjoyed the movie i think what really pushed this movie like really really pushed this movie to me was the fact that it is not like you were saying it is not parceled as a mystery the mystery doesn't really come in until about halfway through it now from my point of view i knew that we were doing a mystery based show this week so i knew it was a mystery beforehand but i was trying to put myself in the mindset of someone who had not seen this movie or heard anything about it before and you know i would not have picked up the mystery part of it until a good half an hour 40 minutes into the movie um i like the fact that it is a a very tight movie there's not a lot of downtime at all even though we're essentially talking about pharmaceuticals then the courts um then you know how, how people treat people with things like depression or mental health and the mysteries in the background that these are really dry topics at the best of times but the fact that i was engaged with the characters in it was a huge tick now i'm not a big fan of charity tatum either but i thought he, he played the perfect part in here um and when his character is and we are spoiling this when his character dies and it actually genuinely felt sorry for him i yeah. genuinely i genuinely felt sorry for for Emily, played by Runa Mara, I, I felt sorry for her because it, she plays it in such a way that I felt that they were trying their hardest to, to go somewhere and that just never happened. Um, so yeah, I thought that was I thought that was really good as well. I think the story itself is 
is actually really quite clever. I will admit, though, a good half an hour before the end, I knew what the ending was. I knew exactly where it was going to go. Um, but it didn't, once again, didn't deter me from my enjoyment of the movie. The The reveal of what we knew was coming and then the further reveal after that, almost like the double-double cross, um, the triple cross, if you if you will. Um, I will. Then moving into a quadruple cross, um, at the very end, I thought was handled excellently, and it gave me a satisfying ending. No, no, there was the the final shot of the movie did make me kind of want to throw something at the TV um, in anger because we didn't need that last shot. I, I I didn't need that. I didn't need to see um, Jude Law's character reunited with his family and everything's happy and everyone's moving on. I didn't need that shot. I thought that was unnecessary. I think the film should have ended with. You know, uh, Runamara's character being dragged off to the nut house. I thought that would have been a bit more satisfying. But that's my particular bent on films. We've talked about it before. I don't like the, the well, warmest but... and fuzziest of endings. I felt it was like one shot that was unnecessary. All right, but the very last shot of the movie, though, isn't Jude Law getting into the car. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think, yeah. I think what they could have done is cut the car sequence out. She gets dragged off, fade to black, fade in, and then she's at the window. If you know yeah. what I mean, yeah, I just yeah. felt like Jude Law just got Jude Law got the the ultimate the Hollywood happy ending, um, and I kind of felt like his character was undeserving of that because he is part of that machine as well. He was recommending, even though someone else had originally prescribed the drug, he recommended a drug without checking into it at all on the whim of someone says I've been taking that they've been taking it's pretty good, or a former psychiatrist has mentioned it. That is enough for him. And I think someone in his profession, there really was no comeuppance on him at all. You know, he may have lost his job in the big firm, but he still had a job. He still ended up with a practice, so he's still practicing. Um, He'll probably never make that mistake again, but that kind of upped me a wee bit. Um, Jude Law was actually very good in this movie. Um, I thought him trying to get to the bottom of this series of mysteries was, was... Really good. I think Runamara's performance is phenomenal. Um, as was Catherine Zeta-Jones, who has a kind of smaller part in there, but she was excellent. I, and I, I don't really rate her as an actress. Um, there are plenty of Zeta-Jones movies I've seen that I've just been like, you know, this would have been a great movie had they got someone else in. Um, right. she's, she's a very pretty lady. We can all acknowledge that. Can we yeah. just put a picture of her in the corner of the screen and get another actress to read the lines? Yeah, I mean, there, are, there have been the occasional performance where I thought, actually, that was pretty good, um, but but few and far between. But she is she's excellent in this movie as well. So our central characters cast perfectly. The story, I think, is captivating. I think what they do is they, they handle the mystery aspect and the right tone, and they bring it in at the right point in this movie. Whilst I don't think it is the most original movie in the world which is difficult when dealing with mysteries um and i did see the the twist come in maybe about half an hour from the end it didn't deter my enjoyment of the movie um and apart from that that fuzzy shot that i saw at the end um i actually i thought it was a very much like yourself i'm wondering why people aren't talking about this movie um because to me it's it's a no-brainer if you if you want to sit down and have you know, on a Saturday night or something with, with with a bowl of popcorn with your significant other and watch a movie which will keep twisting and turning then side effects is you know, is a is a is a good contender for, for that sort of for that sort of date night or movie in. I I thought it was I thought it was really good. 
Um, a couple of counterpoints to your complaints. Mm -hmm. uh, when it comes to the ultimate resolution of Jude Law's character uh, being the, the Hollywood happy ending, I think you can read that partly as, yes, he's part of this machinery, but that machinery is going to grind on regardless. Like, that yeah, ultimately, yeah. ultimately, the big pharma companies are never going to be held responsible for the prescribing of these drugs or the testing of these drugs on the patients. Um, but the other thing, the more film noirish aspect of it to me that I really enjoyed, and we'll see this a bit more in Gone Girl, uh, but most film noir, like if you go back to something like Double Indemnity, say, yeah, yeah. Uh, the idea is that you have a femme fatale here played by Rooney Mara and to a lesser extent, Catherine Zeta-Jones, um, using the guy as a dupe. And yeah. most times, the guy ends up figuring it all out. Like, Body Heat is another good example of this. Body, Body Heat was a movie that I was thinking about towards the end of this movie. Like, see, when everything started unraveling for Jude Law's character, I thought, we could be ending it. And that was the ending. The sadist in me wanted that ending. Like, really wanted that ending. And that's kind of what you get when we move on to speak about Gone Girl, is you get that idea a bit better than in yeah. this one. But it, it didn't bother me too much that... You know, it didn't play necessarily out that way. Yeah, I think we're in this movie, like Soderbergh is, and Scott Burns, the writer, is somewhat subverting that expectation that the guy is just going to be the dupe. He's going to take the fall. He's going to figure it out too late. Meanwhile, Catherine, uh, oh, geez, what is her name? From uh, Body Heat, Catherine, no, 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 no. Oh, no, no, a, oh. And Romancing uh, the Stone. Kathleen Turner. Kathleen Turner. Jeez, I can't yeah. believe I blinked on that. Um, so after Kath after all the hubba hubba talk you talked about her on that show. Hubba hubba. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, after Kathleen Turner kind of fucks off and goes to you know Tahiti or whatever with her boy toy, and you leave William Hurt kind of in jail, like, oh crap, I just figured out what really happened to me. Um, I think this movie takes the opposite stance of that, which is the guy gets ahead of the the mystery just in time to turn it to his favor yeah. and ends up sending both femme fatales up the river as opposed to him. And that's part of my enjoyment of this movie is seeing for once the male <laughs> character like, Oh, wait a second. They're about to fuck me over. Nobody fucks with me. I'm going to do the fucking, you know? Yeah. And that's kind of, that's kind of what Jude Law does in this movie. So I'm on one level, I'm kind of okay with that happy ending. If only because it is such an unexpected ending for that character in this kind of movie. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I can see that. I, I can see that. Um, yeah, I, I, I can't disagree. I, I cannot disagree with what you say. As my particular likes and dislikes, I would have yeah. preferred. It. I would have preferred Jude Law's character to at least have had some, at the end, be dealing with something um, other than the happy shot of him getting in the car with his you know, has uh, has estranged... Well, because the last time we saw them, she was, like, she was out of there. And um, there didn't appear to be any pain in her face in the reconciliation in that one shot. And I just felt like, yeah, okay. Yeah, maybe, I know that's... I know, yeah. it's, I know it's the... It's the, the opposite of what we would usually see, which is our femme fatales rejoicing somewhere with a happy ending. And I totally get that. I just kind of felt... I just, I, I felt slightly unsatisfying. I'm not saying I hated it. I just, I just, I didn't, I had an, I had an itch bow and I just couldn't quite reach it with that ending. 
In the Duncan McLeish School of Cinematic Thought, what should have happened is Jude Law sends both of the femme fatales up the river and then immediately commits suicide. <laughs> not as not as not as bold as that. Maybe years of watching David Lynch movies is <laughs> to the extent that no one could be happy at the end of a movie. I'd hate to think that was what had happened. But I would like to. I would like to have seen him. Like at the end, all that happens, and he gets his license to practice revoked. Or something like that, you know, someone says, we understand, you know, that you did the right thing at the end, however, you still did prescribe these drugs. You know, for a message, it is very, for a movie that has a message which is very critical about the pharmaceutical industry, or American healthcare in general, I mean, there is a, a line where Jude Law describes the differences between how the British medical system treats mental health, uh, which is people have a sickness, um, and how the American system is, is you know, we can cure it with drugs. Um, and that's not necessarily 100% true. I think uh, Soderbergh is making us out to be a bit more, you know, like we're treating people with leeches and shit like that over here, which is not true. Um, you know, people understand what medical, uh, you know, when mental health problems are over here, we just don't think that prescribing them fancy, fancy pharmaceuticals, which haven't been properly tested, is a way to get around that. And I, I, I see the central message I just see the character who ultimately could have had something done to him in terms of losing his license to practice or being suspended from practicing, pending an investigation or something, is <clears throat> left at the end of this movie with a practice. Um, we would imagine potentially with the money, it's never really left out as ambiguous. Did he have the money? Did the money go back? We don't know, but potentially with the money and back with his his lady friend and her kid. And yeah, that to me was a bit too, it's a bit too saccharine. You know what I mean? There's put a bit, it's a bit too light, put a little shade of darkness in there, give us a shade of grey, and I'm, I'm on board with it. Um, that being said, how great is the scene with uh, Jude Law and Rooney Mara when he's showing her someone getting electroshock therapy? Oh yeah, fucking with, brilliant. With, and b before she kind of comes clean as to the fact that she's not really crazy and has, uh, you know, uh, assembled this entire plot in an effort to get rid of Channing Tatum. Um, but the when he's thing, like... The only thing more terrifying, Bo, than being, and for my opinion, the only thing more terrifying than being uh, accused of a crime you didn't commit where the evidence looks like you did commit that crime, and we're going to go on once again and talk about that in Gone Girl, is the idea of being locked up for being crazy when you're not crazy. You know what I mean? This yeah. idea, yeah, regardless yeah. how much you profess, you're not insane. Everyone in there is trained to hear people say that they're not insane and believe they're insane, and that to me is a terrifying thought. And I think they played that. They they play that. That scene's brilliant, and it is done tongue in cheek, yet certainly. But you know, when when she's looking at the person getting shocked, and he's just like, you know, I don't want this to happen to you. And then the guy comes in, and he's like, that. No, we'll delay it off a day. And you know, th this sort of thing about how how close to the wire that character is. You know, it's, it's him basically saying, remember, you may have done all this shit to me and you may think you're the smart one and put all these things in, but right now you've signed everything over to me and I have the power. Well, and when he, the line that gets me is when he says to her, I don't know what this would do to a normal person. Mm -hmm. You know, but the one thing we do know is that your, your memory is going to be affected and it's in no one's interest for you to remember what you've done. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, yeah. That that stuff is real terrifying to me too. And I, I think that 
you know, it, yeah, it, it, it's interesting because this is a great example of a movie where you have characters who are all playing a very dangerous game and mm-hmm. you see how dangerous it really is. Like a lot, a lot of times, uh, mysteries and, and thrillers and, and movies of that ilk don't do a good job in defining the repercussions of like, if we get found out, then X will happen. Yeah. And I think this is a movie that drives home very well for every character involved. What is really at stake. And, and the stakes are really high on a very personal level. It's not, you know, the world will end, but for, for, you know, actual human, human beings who walk around on the planet, like this would devastate all of their lives. And it's just a question of who's going to come out on top. Yeah. Um, so yeah. All right. Well, uh, we will, uh, we will return to side effects when it, uh, comes time to weigh the, uh, success of my pick for you. Uh, but, but first, uh, let's turn our attention to uh, a movie that I can't believe that I never saw. Yeah. I don't Uh, understand this either. (laughs) It's time for my movie choice. And this episode dealing with mysteries, I chose, um, Gone Girl from 2014, directed by the almighty David Fincher, um, (laughs) based on the novel, uh, adapted into the screenplay by Gillian Flynn. Um, Synopsis is listed on IMDb, with his his wife's disappearance having become the focus of an intense media circus, a man sees the spotlight turned on him when it is suspected that he may not be innocent. So you got to the bar around 11 today. Where were you before that, just to cross that off? Well, I was home. I left at 9.30, got a cup of coffee, newspaper... Went to Sawyer Beach and read the news. Do you visit with anyone there? Well, I mean, I kind of go to Sawyer Beach for the solitude. So, your wife has no friends here. Is she kind of standoffish? Ivy League? Rubs people the wrong way? She's from New York. She's complicated. She's got very high standards. Type A? Well, that can make you crazy if you're not like that. You seem pretty laid back. Type B. Speaking of which, Amy's blood type... God, I don't know. I have to look it up at the house. You don't know if she has friends. You don't know what she does all day. And you don't know your wife's blood type. Sure, y'all are married. The movie, um, it's got a a fairly powerful cast. We've got Ben Affleck, uh, Rosamund Pike, Neil Patrick Harris, Tyler Perry, other folks. Um, Yeah, uh, I saw this movie at the cinema when it came out. uh, Running that, I'd never read the book, but I know a lot of people that had read the book immensely loved the book so there was a lot of talk about this in the office that i worked in at the time about this movie coming out um and i'd never heard of the book but as soon as i realized that david fincher was the director i was like oh we're going to see that i'm a big big fan of david fincher i think um un- unlike other directors we're talking about already on the show today there's very little in his uh his filmography that i dislike um and it, there are particular kind of quirks that he uses that have become synonymous with the name Fincher but um, for the most part really enjoy his work I'm not the biggest fan of Ben Affleck <laughs> we're, we're finding that I'm not a big fan of many actors and actresses today Bo. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah you really have a lot of chips on your shoulder yeah my shit list is long and um, I'm not the biggest fan of, of Affleck but occasionally I'll pull a performance out something like The Town for example, uh, where I'm like that, oh, he, he, you know, he is a good actor. I just think that sometimes the roles he's casting are almost, uh, I'm, I'm almost predisposed to not liking him at all. Um, so, yeah, this one was going to be an interesting watch for me. 
And I fell in love with this movie pretty hard. Um, there's a lot of things that were pretty much guaranteed to do that. Obviously mentioned that David Fincher directed it. The score is done by Trent Reznor, who is of Nine Inch Nails fame. Nine Inch Nails is my favourite band. Trent Reznor is my favourite musician. Um, I've loved his work with Fincher through things like The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, which is an alright kind of remake. I prefer the originals, but I love the score on that one. Social Network, love the score on that one. You even jump back to things like Seven, you know, love the score on that one, and Reznor was involved with that as well. So, I mean, they're a great combination together, and hopefully they'll continue doing work together, because I think the, the two of them play off really well off each other. Um, and the story, I knew nothing about this at all. I hadn't read the book, so there was... I went into this blind, so I did not know anything about it. And the levels of which the deception works in this movie and and the ending that we're left with is 100% ticking all the boxes of Duncan's gloom house um, where everything is bad and, and nothing nice happens. To, it's, it's a David Lynch uh, scenario for me all over again. But I just like how this movie is set up at the start with one idea through a series of clips of what he is going through, we are made to sympathise with him. And at the same time, we are given segments from his wife who has disappeared. Uh, her diary, which at first back up what we feel about Affleck and then ultimately make us change our opinion on Affleck. And then ultimately we get a reveal again about halfway through the movie, which then makes us sympathise with Affleck. Um... I think that's really cleverly done, and I can't obviously give credit to Fincher on this one. That credit goes to the story. I think the story's incredible, and having read the book since, the book is really compelling. It's, it's really good as well. I really enjoyed that. Um, but, Bo, you had not seen this movie. I can't think for one scenario at all that I, we would exist in a, in a universe where you wouldn't be a fan of David Fincher. So why didn't you check this movie out? Uh I don't know really. Like it's it's always been on my list of things to see, uh -huh. and and part of it too is that uh, the movie is what two thirty two forty somewhere in that neighborhood. Yeah, it's quite long. Yeah, yeah, and it, I mean it doesn't feel like a long movie or anything, but you know it just I hadn't had that night where it was like you know what I'm gonna sit down and watch Gone Girl and that's gonna be what I do tonight because I'm also not the biggest Ben Affleck fan. I think I probably like him more than you do, but. That being said, I'm not, he's not an immediate go-to. You know, if I see Ben Affleck has a movie coming out, I'm not like, well, that's a, a done deal. Um, <laughs> so uh, I didn't know a ton about the movie other than it was based on a book. Uh, I knew that there was a twist somewhere in the film. Mm -hmm. um, and that was kind of it. Um, so, yeah, I... I didn't have an aversion to seeing Gone Girl. It just hadn't happened yet. Yeah. And, and so that's, again, one of the wonderful things about doing this show is that there are times where a, a movie that has been on the list for a while uh, finally surfaces as a recommendation and I, and I get a good excuse to watch it. I think uh, uh, Blue is the Warmest Color is another good recent example of that. Yeah, and, and in fairness, the movie's not even a year old, so I kind of, I've just checked the release date, it's not even a year old, so I kind of feel a wee bit guilty now about chastising you for seeing a movie that isn't even a year old yet. Yeah, yeah, and I had it on the shelf and all that, like, it, it was, it was something that was going to happen one day, but... Uh... And, and you do, you do, like, because I, I know it was nominated for at least one Oscar, 
that was this one of the movies that maybe came in as a screener as well it was yes right so right. uh yeah i i really have no excuse at the end of the day i there is no reason i shouldn't have seen this already but i'm kind of glad i didn't because it gives us a, a good reason to talk about it on the show and it's a it's a movie worth talking about yeah yeah um you're right it is david fincher uh cover to cover it is uh it it has some of the editing qualities of his films which i really like yeah. Um, but yeah, it really was the story that I think is the the hero of this film um, in that it does keep you, if not guessing, there there were times where I felt like I was a little bit ahead of the movie. Um, and then there was uh, one thing towards the end that I'll, I'll talk about later, but uh, where I felt like if the movie had taken this turn, I kind of would have been more on board in a way mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. it would have been the darker ending. Uh, so, uh, but anyway, so yeah, the, the, you know, basic story aside from the synopsis is Ben Affleck plays kind of, you know, an everyman kind of guy, uh, certainly flawed, um, you know, doesn't have a ton of money, was a writer for a men's magazine for a long time and gets fired when the, the market crashes. Uh, his wife, Amy is very, uh, kind of aristocratic New York bloodline. You know, her mother mm -hmm. was an author who created a series of children's books that are kind of based on the character of Amy. Um, amazing Amy. Amazing Amy. And even when uh, Amy goes missing, uh, I think the website is findamazingamy.com or something. Yeah, it's instead just... of, yeah, that's, that's what our mom uses at the press conference. You just cringe. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, her parents are kind of the, I think the way that I described it, uh, with a friend was they are the waspiest wasps that ever wasped. <laughs> it is, it is a very privileged kind of white people family. Um, and so, yeah. And so they moved to Missouri where Ben Affleck's mother is dying and, and Amy tags along and, and that's where they're going to build this life together. And Ben Affleck owns a bar with his twin sister and who, by the way, is a great character. Uh, uh, Carrie Coon yeah. plays Margot, and she's really good in it. Um, so, yeah. And then, you know, obviously, Amazing Amy goes missing. And the crime scene suggests murder, ultimately. Mm -hmm. And it, it definitely traffics a bit in the uh, Scott and Lacey Peterson trial. I mean, that seems to be the yep. origins of this story in a lot of ways. Uh, in that... You know, pretty much Ben Affleck immediately is put on trial in the media for uh, his behavior. You know, does he seem a little too happy that she's gone? Is he acting doesn't, a little too normal? Doesn't really help himself with that, though, to be fair. She knows that he's going to... She anticipates that he will behave in a certain manner at certain times and certainly goes out of way to stage certain things for him. And he kind of doesn't really help himself at all in this, no. this scenario. No, but I, I think in kind of understandable ways, given, given yeah. his character, you know, he like there's a point where uh, there he goes to the um, kind of convention hall where that they're using for the tip line and the volunteer work and everything. And he's, you know, hugging people and thanking them and that kind of thing. And somebody says, like, you look a little too happy here. And he's like, well, you know, that's just how I was raised. I'm, I'm thinking people who are volunteering to help find my wife. And that's just how I grew up. Uh, that's how I was taught. And even to the point of like doing a selfie where he smiles with someone when they take the picture. Yeah. And then 
and to his credit immediately realizes like oh you please don't put that picture out which mm-hmm. of course it is immediately posted to social media and uh, the movie does a really nice job of showing how media is not concerned with the truth in any way mm-hmm. and in fact the only time he is perceived as being genuine by the media is when he's least honest with yeah. the interviews and I think that's really an interesting point that, you know, both uh, Fincher and, uh, uh, is it Gillian Anderson? Gillian uh, Flynn. Gillian Flynn, I'm sorry. That Gillian uh, Anderson is the actress on Community. Sorry about that. Uh, but uh, <laughs> that I think Fincher and Gillian Flynn make is this idea of what is what is truth, um, mm-hmm. what is the reality of truth and honesty. Um, there was a great parallel scene at the beginning and end of the movie where mm-hmm. you start with Ben Affleck making what seems like a really loaded kind of statement uh, in voiceover where he says, you know, sometimes you wish that the person you're with, you could just crack their skulls open, unravel their brain and get yeah. the answers to what are you thinking? How are you feeling? Mm-hmm. Um, when you get to that line and that scene repeated at the end of the movie, it takes on all kinds of other meanings. Yeah. Uh, because the the big twist of the movie, spoilers, and you've been warned early and often, um, <laughs> is that uh, his wife has faked her own disappearance and, and theoretical death to frame Ben Affleck and send him away for murder. And really it seems to be for the crime of having taken her away from her life in New York and also once in Missouri uh engages in an extramarital affair with a much younger woman yeah and so she you know cooks up a pretty terrific scheme uh i I particularly like a scene where she she is talking about how to uh stage a murder yeah and there are all these books spread around the coffee table like helter skelter and all these annual (laughs) books and she's just like taking the best of each of like okay well here's how you frame someone from for murder and the evidence that they would expect to see and all that stuff um, it's pretty funny as well because earlier on in the movie uh, when he's talking to the cops he says that she's a voracious reader mm-hmm. and that's how she spends her time and this is i always thought like when watching that for the first time she's a voracious reader i thought she must do something else with that and then when you see her reading all those but you're like oh yeah yeah I, I now get it i get it yeah yeah, and it's little things like she she cooks up this journal that tells the perfect story of a wife who loves her husband but then starts to feel threatened by him. Yep. And that she is worried that uh, she's going to be murdered by him. And the, uh, the journal is then left in Ben Affleck's father's house in a, in a furnace, burned just enough to seem like he was trying to get rid of some evidence, but... Not so much that the the pages are unreadable, so mm-hmm. it it makes for once again a very damning piece of evidence against him. Um, and you know he's arrested. Tyler Perry. Uh, I almost called this Tyler Perry's Gone Girl for a long time. Uh, <laughs> Tyler Perry comes on. He is a a very famous uh, defense attorney who specializes in in the indefensible cases. And once they sort of realize, like, oh shit. Uh, his wife, as played by Rosamund Pike, is setting him up. Then the goal is, like, we've got to find her yeah. and bring her to justice. Um, meanwhile, 
Rosamund Pike, who has gotten away with, uh, you know, a, a fair amount of money, um, gets uh, snookered by some local rednecks, which I thought was hilarious. Yeah, I think it's. I think what's quite cool about that one is that she is so intelligent and so you know resourceful when she's surrounded by the scenario of having unlimited resources. That when she actually does put herself among the people she's chosen to live with temporarily, um, she finds out that there's a whole different world out there pretty yeah. quick. Yeah, and yeah, I, I like that scene a whole lot. But then she's forced to contact uh neil patrick harris's character who is he's a guy brilliant. he's brilliant in this movie he is amazingly sinister in this movie in yeah. uh a really great way um but he's he's sort of a dupe as well as uh every other guy that she's ever gone out with and that you know he's kind of the guy that's very successful very very wealthy that she's been able to string along for a number of years um you know sort of the the dick in a jar uh, in case she ever needs him. And once yeah. <laughs> uh, she gets uh, busted by the, the local rednecks and all of her money is taken away, uh, she leans on him and he, he you know, uh, whisks her away to his lake house, which is incredibly luxurious. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I would love to live there. Um, and yeah, so in my mind, so here's the twist that I thought was going to come that never did is I kind of hoped he was going to kill her there that Neil Patrick Harris was because it's the perfect scenario for him, you know, in that he can get away with murder completely because she's already dead in theory. Mm -hmm. And I kind of thought that's the way it was going to wrap up. Instead, she ends up killing him Him. and, and, and framing that as if she has been kidnapped by him and repeatedly sexually abused and uh then comes home to ben affleck um and they're and and like ordinarily that would kind of be the end of the movie like she would be outed and go to jail and i think one of the great things about gone girl is that instead what happens is there begins a tense series of negotiations between these characters of uh husband and wife to figure out if he's going to leave her if he's going to try to turn her in um, if she's going to maybe kill him anyway. Um, yeah. And it it seems like that they reach an understanding, which is neither of them is better off if that happens. Mm-hmm. And especially because she has inseminated herself with uh, a oh, child, <laughs> yeah. an anchor baby, if you will. Uh, except this one keeps her out of prison as opposed to in this country. <laughs> And yeah, and so you get this really g- gloomy view of marriage uh, at the end of the movie where uh, as they're talking about the scenario of, you know, her, the two of them remaining husband and wife and continuing with this charade so that the narrative that she has sold of being, you know, kidnapped and raped and, and so forth uh, is the story that he tells also. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he says, you know, we don't have to live a life where we just spend our days thinking of new and more hurtful ways to torture one another. And she says, what do you think marriage is? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, that's a pretty, pretty dark view of the union of man and wife. But (laughs) it is, you know, in a way, it's sort of the relationship that they've had all along. 
mm-hmm. and it's just going to be a continuation of that. Like neither of these people are ever going to be happy. God forbid uh, this kid uh, comes out even slightly okay yeah. uh, in this scenario. But yeah, it's it, it's it very much invokes you know the the classic mysteries of old in that you do have you know sort of your dim witted guy, the the woman who's uh, setting him up. And unlike something like uh, side effects, where the guy actually gets away with it uh, unexpectedly, um, in this case, it's almost like just a ceasefire as opposed to there being a real resolution between these characters. It's just yeah, but like okay. we were saying earlier on about like male characters. Ultimately, if we look at Body Heat as being an example about the idea of being outplayed and then being incarcerated for it. On some level, Ben Affleck is incarcerated at the end of this movie and a loveless marriage with someone that hates him. And he's aware of that, but he has to play into that as well because there are consequences if he doesn't. And what I love about this movie is uh, Rosamund Pike is phenomenal. I think she... I think why she was not nominated for an Academy Award in the Best Actress category last year surprises me because she shows a level of psychosis, a level of deviousness, um, and, you know, she wears this mask of compassion in the movie and caring at times, like in flashback sequences, which is just not there. It's not there at all. And it is the product of growing up in this scenario where her parents have exploited her life as a commodity to make books to build their fortune. So I think I think she plays it excellently excellently as well. And our our end is like you say, it is like us we're we're left in the scenario that we know I don't think that is sustainable. I don't think it'll ever be sustainable what they have. And even down to the fact that, you know, Ben Affleck does start that sinister tone of how you can interpret that that same phrase he uses at the beginning is that you know as one way to finally get at this he may be forced to kill her <laughs> you know which goes against everything what his, of what his character is is about you know he is that nice guy the the kind of the helpful guy and all the rest and to be accused of murder is the, the last thing a character like that would ever do um but he's then put in this position where that might be only his, his only way of escape because she'll never let him go uh, until she gets exactly what she wants and moves on to the next person. I love that idea. As bleak uh, as it is, I think it's really cool. Yeah, yeah. It 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 traffics so much in, in familiar mystery tropes uh, and certainly has a very harsh criticism of the media and the way they handle the idea of someone's guilt or innocence. Um, and particularly the... I can't think of the character's name in the movie, but it's very clearly a Nancy Grace kind of character. Yeah, yeah. Uh, who immediately starts accusing him of murder, and especially when this affair comes to light, um, yeah. you know, it pretty much paints him as just the worst human being that's ever lived. Um, so yeah, it, like it, it deals with all these typical mystery tropes, but it also expands on those ideas and 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 says like, no, no, no. If these weren't just characters in a story, if these were real people, then how do they how do they react to one another once? the mystery is sort of over, mm-hmm. you know, like what, what, what is the fallout of, of this scenario? 
And yeah, it is really bleak. It is really depressing to think that <laughs> he is going to spend at least the next, what, 18 years? I think, it, you know, his sister is the one who's like, look, you know, you're basically uh, giving, signing away the next 18 years of your life. Yeah. Um, and also, you're still not totally convinced that she's not just going to straight up kill this guy one day, you know? Yeah, yeah. The, the, the fact that on a whim, like on a whim, she sets up the perfect scenario of how to get rid of Neil Patrick Harris's character and make it look perfectly like she has been abducted and sexually abused. And this was the last thing that she could do to save herself. On like in the space of a day and a half, she's worked out how she's going to do this. Kind of speaks a lot to her character. She is a very, very dangerous woman. Yes. <laughs> like, like incredibly dangerous woman. Um and yeah, you you're now stuck in a house with that. Yeah. And she's had a pattern of this. Like one of my favorite scenes in the movie is when Ben Affleck tracks down uh this guy from her past that she accused of sexual assault. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he's just this poor dude who, you know, says, uh, you know, look, I now that I've been branded like this, and he tells the story of how this happened and you know, given the, what we know of the character, it doesn't sound like he's trying to defend himself. He's just saying, no, this is how she set me up years mm-hmm. ago. Um, and for, for no other crime than he rejected her. Um, yeah, that, you know, he says, like, look, I haven't had a date in 10 years. I can't hold a decent job because on every application I have to put down that I'm, you know, a sexual offender. I have to tell all my neighbors <laughs> all this stuff. And... You're like, oh, yeah, she just totally ruined his life forever. Mm-hmm. And he got off easy compared to Ben Affleck. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's it's a tremendous film. Like, it's it's the performances are amazing. Kim Dickens as the local uh, sheriff or detective. Oh, she's brilliant as well. She's really, really good in that. Um, yeah, it's just like there's no character in the, in the film that is poorly acted or given too much short shrift. Like... Even the character of of the girl uh, at the uh, kind of motor lodge where Rosamund Pike's character is hiding oh, out yeah. <laughs> seems real stupid, and and you get the impression that we as an audience, as does Rosamund Pike, we kind of look down on this character a little bit, mm-hmm. and then are immediately shown like, oh no no no, she's she's no dummy. She she may not be a person of means, but she's just as conniving and and clever as anyone else. Um, yeah, I like, I, I think the movie is fair to all its characters. The, the actors are fantastic in it. Well-directed. The music's great. You know, like what it, the, the story is filled with enough, uh, turns in it that even if you see them coming, which I felt, I felt like I kind of did at a certain point, especially, yeah, yeah. uh, by the end of it. But then you get to this ending where it's like, well, at the end of the day, yes, the mystery is there and that's the thrust of the story. But it's really ultimately a movie about these characters. Yeah. And it's it's incredibly satisfying. You know, when you come to the end of that movie, it feels like you have been on a journey and in a in a great way. Like it's a it's a gloomy film uh in almost every possible way. Uh but like you said, I mean that kind of appeals to me as well. So <laughs> when nothing works out for any of the characters at all, I'm kinda okay with that too. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, it's really, really good, really good. Um, should should we should we get to it? Yeah, I think we need to. Yeah, I think this is this is the inevitable awkward scenario is now uh, 
trying to decide who who came most correct with movies we both really like so <laughs> yeah i and i don't know that this one's going to be the hemming and hawing that we we had with, <laughs> uh like strange love versus olzana's raid um <laughs> which is still one of my favorite discussions that we've had but uh, yeah <laughs> yeah i think all right so i think side effects in my defense i think side effects mm -hmm. is as i said before criminally underseen I think it's a really good mystery, and I think it does things that sort of subvert the idea of how most mysteries go. Not just yeah. in the sense that you don't really expect it to be a mystery in the first 30 minutes, but also the way that it ultimately resolves itself. Um, I think Gone Girl, on the other hand, is more traditional in a way yeah. uh, in, in its approach to being a mystery. But I really like and agree with its criticisms of the media. Um, I like the way that the characters are constantly... The characters themselves aren't constantly changing, but our perspective of those characters constantly changes as new information is revealed. Mm -hmm. And and like you said, it, 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 as you were alluding to earlier when we were talking about uh, Shyamalan, um, that having this ending that changes the dynamic of the entire film that preceded it like yeah. Gone Girl does that like three different times uh, as you're going through the film. Like a, part of it has to do with the journal. And then when you get to the end of the film, like the, those dynamics are constantly shifting and make us rethink how we feel about these characters again. Um, I th yeah, I think it's kind of a challenging movie uh, if you if you let it be. Um, mm -hmm. I think you can enjoy this on a purely superficial, this is a mystery level. But once you start digging into these characters and their motivations and what what drives them to uh uh the ending that we achieve here yeah i mean it's just it's hard not to say that gone girl is just one of the best modern mysteries ever mm -hmm. uh you know and maybe one of the best mysteries ever like it like it belongs alongside movies like double indemnity and things like that like and body heat like you you could do a whole lot worse for yourself than to watch body heat and gone girl in the same day Oh uh, god, yeah. That's a, yeah, that's that's a lot of movie, but man, uh, th those would both be real satisfying. So yeah, I mean, I think I think it was you who came most correct this week. You 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 loaded up the Fincher gun and you fired it, <laughs> and I took a a bullet called Gone Girl right in the face. Um, uh, yeah, I yeah, it's I mean, fantastic. I I I I'm not going to disagree with you. I I think Gone Girl is the better movie but i think what makes what makes side effects such an interesting movie is the fact that to me there is a there is a strong repeat value to watching that movie you know i would happily watch that again anytime mysteries to me are inherently loaded with with issues when it comes to repeat value because if you put too much emphasis on your ending and your ending is too fantastical um, it can sometimes spoil a second view and it can sometimes deter you from watching the movie for several years because you want to be in that position where you've you kind of know what the ending is but you've forgotten pretty much everything else about the rest of the movie so you can bask in its glory again what i think side effects does well is that there is a very taut very tight narrative in there and it moves at a very quick pace as well i mean it's a, a very spry film in comparison to gone girl that the rewatch value on it is high you know and it, it gives us great performances um in that movie 
Uh, I'd like it, I was saying, Mara is fantastic in her role. Um, Jude Law, an actor that I don't usually give much credit to at all, is fantastic in his role. And it, it moves along at a pace which I really like. And it has a, a, an interesting take on a mystery in that the story doesn't focus on the mystery till you're, you're heavily invested in it and then just adds it, um, in a way which works very well. So I, I think it is a, I, I think it is a fantastic movie. I think Gone Girl, has so many elements in in the storytelling and the way it's shot and the score, which just naturally makes me want to love it anyway. The fact that the the story itself is quite a compelling mystery, and it does give us the the, the thing I compared it to uh, recently when speaking to my wife was that it has the same amount of twists and turns in it like a movie like Cold in July has which was a movie I really enjoyed last year, which was a kind of mystery movie as well, which takes noticeable changes in tempo and pace and tone throughout the movie into different places which you when you sit down and watch the movie at the beginning you think you know where you're going with it and by the end you're like how did we end up here and Gone Girl kind of does the same thing in that and what it does is I suppose is it doesn't make them as fantastical as a movie like Cold in July it kind of keeps them in well, well what happens if these words were twisted slightly or what happens if this character's intentions were just a little bit more deviant um and that completely changes the shape of the movie. Um, and I know I know plenty of people that did not like Gone Girl um, who thought it was overrated, overrated claptrap. Um, and I just never got that. I, I was fully invested in it. I watched it. This was the second time I watched it for the show um, and loved it just as much as the first time. I loved it just as much as I did watching it in the cinema. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I think... I. I think it's an incredible movie, but that's not to say, like we said at the beginning, both these movies, once again, another week of high recommendations from Team DBCC. Uh, if you're if you're in the mood for, for some uh, good mysteries, we've just delivered another two for you, So uh, and hopefully you've watched them before listening to the show, and if you haven't, I would still say watch them, even though we've spoiled the endings. Watch them, they're, they're great examples of storytelling and filmmaking. Um or if you want to seem super smart, uh, you should listen to this, even if you haven't seen the movies, and then you watch it with, you know, friends or loved ones, and then you <laughs> pretend uh, you that you're guessing the end of the movie, <laughs> and you're going to look like a super genius. That would be that. I think you would be more fulfilled doing that with side effects. Yes. Just because the mystery element doesn't really... If you could start thinking, I think this story's going to be a bit more sinister well in advance of everyone else... Yeah, I think your family would start to think you're maybe in league with Lucifer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, like I say, again, another another fantastic show of of movies that I, I like I say, I was aware of side effects. I don't know when I would have ever watched that movie. And having watched it now, I'm so glad that I did. Um, yeah, I, I think once again it's it's another it's another great show for our listeners. Once again, we spoil you, you ungrateful sons of bitches. Wow, I mean, I don't disagree, but <laughs> I, man, the attacks have been coming fast and furious here on our audience. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I think uh, that brings us to an even tie once more. Oh God! So we are uh, at at two all. Will the madness never end, Bo? Uh, well, it will in, in nine episodes. Because uh, <laughs> we have eight more regular shows to do prior to 
uh, our, our Duncan and Bo come incorrect episode, which will serve as the tiebreaker, if nothing else. Um, and really, that's the, the show that uh, I feel like is, you know, it's really the icing on, uh, what, what is it, the frosting on the... Frosting on the muffin bowl. Frosting that's, on that's... the muffin <laughs> What my favourite thing about the frosting on the muffin is how many listeners have actually started using it in conversation on I, Facebook. Yeah, it's it's taken on a life of its own, which I really appreciate. So yeah, yeah. the the episode thirteen frosting on the muffin episode, which is what it's just going to be called. Uh, and I think there's a good chance my pick is going to involve Nicolas Cage. I really oh, do. Oh, do it, do it, do it, do it, do it. Um, I, I, I have not even thought that far ahead. I, I genuinely don't know what, I, what I'm going to do for that show. I'm going to have to start watching some terrible movies. Um, and see if I can come across one which is a stroke of genius. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't think anything I've ever taught Winter Beast. I think that one still rules the roost. Um, and rightly so. I don't want to live in a world where it doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. So, ugh. Winter Beast. That, that again, a community viewing will will occur. On oh God! The, on the tail end of season two, so we has to has to all come together and and acknowledge like the nightmare scenario though is that we both pull a Winter Beast on the same episode. Like I don't even know how to account for that just yet. Oh, I think well, it's whoever does it first. I think I think it's you know <laughs> first comes first serve. If if we reach an episode and I say I'm I'm pulling a Winter Beast here then I, I'm not I think, allowed to. Right. I think it's one per episode. I think that's a rule that we need to include because otherwise it's going to break my brain. <laughs> if if we double Winter Beast an episode, that it could end the universe. It could. I, I, I don't want to be in that position nope. uh, where I could end the universe, Bo. Right. Part of me does. The narcissist in me wants to, but uh, yeah, I, yeah, I don't think I'd like that on a podcast. Same reason I then, think no. I might vote for Trump. I just, yeah. There's part of me that just wants to see it all come down. <laughs> oh my God, he's so bad. He's so bad. <laughs> he's so bad, it's good, Duncan. You know you love it. It's a car crash waiting to happen. Oh. I know, I know. I, uh, I, I want, I want, I, I want to be a fly in the wall when he actually like wins, and he uh, does his inaugural speech, and then marches into the White House and sits in the Oval Room and says, "This is what we're going to do." And then the man from Men in Black comes in with a, you know, the black suit and he's like, "That no, this is your agenda for the next five years." Right. He's like, "No, no, no, the wall at Mexico," and they're like, "No, this is your agenda for the next five years." Um, immediately, he just becomes pro-immigration and. Oh yeah, I, I, I'm waiting for I'm waiting for him to I'm waiting for him to take his uh, his his rightful place as ruler of America, um, and I want to be the first person to question whether or not he was born in the states. Just yeah. to fuck. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I can be a Trump birther. I can get on board with that. Um, yeah, 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 it's you know we get the leaders we deserve here, and clearly there's at least a percentage of people that feel like they deserve a Trump in their life. Yeah, um, you've got to think how lonely those people are. Oh, it's you know, it's it's, it's <laughs> a, our school systems driving them right to the streets, Duncan. Um, but uh, before we uh, we wrap things up, what is it that uh, you're a looking forward to seeing next, and b uh, where where folks can find you? Um, looking forward to seeing next, uh, possibly. 
Um, there's quite a few things actually. There's there's been a few things in Amstar I'm I'm quite keen to check out. Um, I have watched half of Cop Car, and I really want to watch the rest of it because I'm I'm digging that a lot with Kevin Bacon. Watched half of it last night. Um, small indie movie. He plays the the villain in it, and I love uh, love me some bacon where he's playing the villain. Um, there's mostly horrors actually. I think the next thing that I'm really looking forward to checking out is Cooties. Which is the yeah 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 yep. and um we're in a weird scenario where it's getting released for a small cinematic theater run in the states and on VOD. It's not in the UK, but we're getting it on Blu-ray about a month after its VOD status in America before it gets released in Blu-ray in the states. Which just once again, distributors and film companies just sit down and plan these things out. Because that's nonsense. That's like a really... Either release it in Blu-ray everywhere at the same time or release it in VOD everywhere at the same time. But all you're going to do is hurt yourself by doing what you're doing there. It seems like a... It seems um, a a, a foot in the wrong direction to me. I I really don't understand the logic behind it. So I've pre-ordered it anyway. I'm looking forward to it coming. I think that's the next one. Just because there's a particular sense of humour and a particular meanness towards children... Uh, which has been uh, hinted at in that movie, which I'm kind of looking forward to. I can I can also get behind that, for sure. Yeah. Um, in terms of where you can find me, uh, you can check me out on the podcast Under the Stairs. We're about to finish off our Christopher Lee versus Vincent Price Top 10, which has been a fantastic series of shows. The most recent one, as of the date of this recording, features none other than Bo Ransdell. Um, and it was a lot of fun recording. Uh, but we're gearing ourselves up for, for October, like all horror podcasts are now um, which is a month long celebration of Halloween and I've decided to torture the Baz, my uh, my foolish assistant over there by putting him through what can only be described as five weeks of pain um, and I'm, I'm, I'm already that, on board, I'm already excited about yeah, this Yeah, um, he is going to be facing off against the found footage movie as our main feature each week which are found footage movies that I think he should see which I think are quite interesting and there's some interesting, um, some scary some less scary titles on there but what I'm most looking forward to is the first half of each of those shows which we're looking at unsettling cinema is what I've dubbed it where we'll be covering I Spit in Your Grave from the 70s Antichrist, the Lars von Trier movie, Irreversible, which has the most painful rape sequence I've ever seen in any movie, uh, Eden Lake, which I believe is the the movie that the, one of the very few movies out there that does not have a soul, um, and Requ- <laughs> Requiem for a Dream, which takes me about three or four days in a darkened room to recover from. So yeah, he's going to be put through a lot of pain, and my listeners uh, are going to be uh, privy to to his pain and hopefully you'll get off it as much as i do so yeah podcast under the stairs which can be found it's um through the website that we have podcast under the stairs dot wordpress.com um uh, on stitcher but most importantly on the network that this show is also featured on legion podcast network yeah excellent uh all right well you should listen to all that stuff and i know i will because i any any episode that prominently features uh the vaz is always a crowd pleaser. <laughs> um, I, and I particularly enjoyed uh, him him talking about Elm Street 3 because I totally agree. Yeah, that, wait, that wait awesome. till you hear him. Yeah, wait till you hear him talking about Elm Street, the remake, and oh, get ready. Get ready. Remember his opinion. He loved the Friday the 13th remake. Mm-hmm. And I'm just going to say, set your face to what the fuck did he just say 
when he discusses A Nightmare on Elm Street, the remake, Bob. <laughs> All right. All right. I'm in. Uh, <laughs> I think, uh, as, as for me, I will probably be seeing uh, The Visit based on your recommendation, maybe even this very day, Duncan. Um, uh, I think we're going to try to get out and, and see that here in a, just a little bit because it, it sounds good. And mm-hmm. if, if you have led me astray, then once again, our clans go to war. <laughs> I've got to. I got to tell you though, my clan is generally drunk most of the time. Um, <laughs> well, I'm Scottish, so we're 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 on an even pagan. <laughs> yeah, it's just a bunch of people who aren't feeling pain, swinging around flails. Uh, <laughs> and uh, then you can you can hear me uh, on this show, obviously, as well as uh, the Shodcast, which is the uh, video game podcast. You can find that uh, at stfgaming.com and also at legionpodcast.com. Uh, and believe it or not, I think we are recording this week, uh, a new episode of devour the podcast. Dear God. Oh my, they said it would never happen again. They were wrong. Um, <laughs> so I think that's going to happen this week and you know, we'll go from there. We'll see what's, what's going down in, in, uh, devour the podcast land. Um, mm-hmm. and then you can find all that legionpodcast.com. Also, if there are shows that you are particularly fond of. Uh, that you would like to subscribe to uh, a unique feed and just get that show. That's in the works now. Most of the shows are in that position where you can just subscribe to the Legion podcast show you enjoy the most. Um, and uh, yeah, if uh, if there is a show that you uh, you genuinely like and would like to just subscribe to that feed, uh, then uh, shoot me an email if it's not available at uh, bow at legionpodcast.com. And uh, we'll make that happen for you. So um, much like this this show, which you can subscribe to, you can also subscri- subscribe to the Legion Podcast feed on iTunes. Uh, and also, I will pimp it one last time, uh, Lost After Dark, uh, the movie I wrote, is available on VOD platforms as well as uh, physical copies uh, that you can get on Amazon and Best Buy. And uh, Walmart is the one that blows me away. Somebody bought one recently from Walmart. Uh, mm-hmm. And you can also uh, look for the commentary on iTunes or on the legionpodcasts.com website. Uh, so if you want to hear us uh, just kind of BS about the making of the movie and the inspiration for some of the stuff that you see in that film, um, that is available at no extra charge to you. We don't, we're not seeing one thin dime off that thing. So, um, I mean, the, the commentary not the movie itself uh, yeah <laughs> we hope to see a thin dime off of that thing actually we got a report that uh our sales have been uh the the word i got was exceeding expectations so fantastic yeah that's good we would uh you know we would like to to make another one and and maybe have more money to do it this time so we don't have to do it so fast um <laughs> maybe we shot in about 16 days duncan that ain't much yeah, oh God, no, not at all. <laughs> yeah, not a lot of time. Um, so, and in the meantime, we will uh, be returning here uh, at Duncan and Bo Come Correct in a fortnight uh, mm-hmm. to discuss a new theme and two new movies. I don't want to give anything away, but seeing as how Halloween is right around the corner, we might be talking about some horror movies. Oh, good, good. I'm looking forward to this one. It's it's about that time that we return to our roots and find some obscure shit that the other person hasn't seen. Oh, yes, 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 yes. <laughs> I like how gleeful you get. Uh, all right, uh, that's all I got. Duncan, anything else from you? Uh, just thanks very much for everyone uh, continuing to support the show and giving us 
massive success last month with our True Detective series. Uh, episodes 6, 7 and 8 uh, topped the Legion uh, League um, at number 1. Um, thank you very much for supporting that run of shows. It is something we're going to look into doing again because uh, we both had fun doing it and obviously you had fun listening to it. But um, just, yeah, keep spreading the word and you can still contact us to drop ideas for future movies um, that we may not have checked out that we could put into the, the pot of movies to go forward with. But um, yeah, I look forward to coming back in a fortnight to chat to you about another movie I haven't seen before and one that I love. So, uh, yeah, until then, please take care. All right. Good night, everybody. We'll talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.